0: So, two weeks and one day ago, um, I quit. Not really. Just between me and God, I quit. Not just job, just ministry in general. I was just done. I was over all of it. There were several different things that happened all at the same time. Some that I could control, some that I couldn't. Some that were my fault, some that weren't some that were a part of Red Rock, some, most that were a part of my personal life, and I was just at a point where I was just done. It wasn't just three years of, of trying to plant a church, it was like the last 10 years of ministry, and it like all came out at once, and I was driving up Mopac, and I had to pull over at New Life Church, because it was a safe parking lot for me to have a breakdown. So I'm probably on the, be on the lookout list for them. I'm sorry. It's just the only place I could get to. And I turned my phone off and spent 20 minutes having one of the more honest conversations I've ever had with God. And I told him, I just, I can't, I can't do this anymore. You ever, you ever felt that way? You ever been there? It's like you're just trying to be a part of the solution yet you feel like you're just causing more problems or trying to be a vessel of hope and yet you're just not feeling it or trying to bring light but just feel like darkness keeps pushing back against you. Maybe for you it's a, a spiritual thing like trying to figure out this whole God thing but. God keeps letting bad things happen in your life or to people that you love and you're just like, I just, I'm done, I quit. Maybe it's a physical thing. You're dealing with some sort of chronic pain and you've seen every doctor and you've read every book and you're so tired of loved ones sending you more TED Talks about how to fix it because nothing's working and you just, you just wanna give up, you just wanna quit. Maybe it's a mental thing. The anxiety and depression numbers are staggering. So if that's you, no, if nothing else, you're in very good company. But it can be debilitating, man. It can be crippling. It can make you want to quit. Maybe it's a relational thing. Marriage is hanging on by a thread or feel like all your friendships are falling apart and if you're honest, you just... You just wanna be done, man, you you just wanna quit. Well, I I was at that moment and I was sitting in my car and as I'm crying and talking to God, I have AM radio on. (laughs) Who listens to AM radio, Jacob? It's like some Christian station and there's this pastor, could barely hear it through my words that I had to share with God and The pastor was talking about how lonely it can be to try to be a light sometimes and how hard it can be to to try to do ministry sometimes. But I couldn't hear him. I was just yelling and shouting. Then I'd come back to it a couple minutes later and he'd talk about how, how all throughout scripture there's all these men and women who feel far from God and that God isn't angry when we get angry with him, but actually he delights in it. The Bible says he's near to the brokenhearted. And that when we just get to the point where we're honest and we just talk to him about where we're at, he goes, now I can work with that. Come on, let's talk. I can handle it. I'm a big God. And around that time, I actually tune into what this pastor is saying and I listen to the rest of his sermon and right as he's landing the plane and praying at the end of it, he says, we pray all these things in Jesus' name amen and that's usually the moment right where it's done and you can hear the DJ music coming back in and the DJ is about to be like you've been listening to but there's two words that he gets in right before that happens he goes in Jesus name we pray amen and then out of nowhere he just goes don't quit and I'm looking around in my car just like what And uh, for the last couple weeks, for me, that's been changing the way that I've read the book of Daniel as I've just been reading it over and over and over again. Watching this guy named Daniel persevere through so much. And uh, so I've got something on my heart that that I wanna share, but in honor of those two words, we're simply going to call this message, don't quit. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't quit. All right, let's get started. Daniel chapter six. If you've got your Bibles, if you brought a friend and you're like, he usually tells jokes. I don't know, that was like a really heavy thing. I know, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm learning how to not get up here and be, pretend to be in a place that I'm not in, right? I just want to get up here and be where I'm at and speak from the heart. And so that's what we're doing today, Daniel chapter 6. Um, This is week four, fourth and final week of Babylon, where we're talking about being Christians in a world where it's so hard to be Christians sometimes. Because Daniel and his three buddies are like this beautiful picture. They're they're exiles in Babylon from the time they were 16. They grew up in this strange land. And yet they learn how to have a ton of influence. And we're going to read a story uh, about what happened at the very end of Daniel's life today. Daniel chapter 6, we'll start in verse 1. It says this. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, if you're new to this whole thing, you're currently going, this is why I don't read the Bible. I have no idea what any of that means, right? I get it, so let me me set this up for us. If you remember, a couple weeks ago, Doug talked about this king named Nebuchadnezzar who was the Babylonian king, brought Daniel and all of his friends out of their land because he wanted to build his own kingdom, well, uh, Nebuchadnezzar passes away and passes the torch onto his son named Belshazzar, Daniel chapter 5, if you want to read his story. Basically, his, his mention in the Bible is he throws a giant party, and then there's these cra- this crazy writing on the wall, and then things go really poorly for him. And now in the beginning of chapter 6, this guy Darius has taken over. Now, Darius is smart. He knows I can't oversee this entire kingdom on my own, so I'm going to set up, this word satraps just means like governors. I'm gonna set up 120 different leaders in different sections of the kingdom. But I also know that I can't oversee 120 people, so I'm going to appoint three people to oversee that 120. It's just good leadership. But what's interesting about this is that Daniel is one of the three. So the question is, how do you go from being a 16-year-old exile in a foreign land to later in your life being the right-hand man for the king? Well, we find out in the next verse. It says, now Daniel, sorry, go back, Josh, not quite. So Daniel so distinguished himself. If you write in your Bibles, underline those two words. So distinguished. What was Daniel's secret? Daniel, if if you're in this room and you want to be a person who has an influence in this world, you want to know what Daniel's secret is? If you want influence, the secret starts with integrity. Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. He just lived a good life. He did in, in the secret Right? In the secret, he was the same person that he was in public and he so distinguished himself with exceptional qualities. He outdid everybody in authenticity and humility and unity and generosity. Daniel is this amazing picture of integrity and, and, and it says because of those exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. There are A lot of people in the Old Testament, and most of them are not good role models. They're like pictures of how God is faithful, even though we keep messing up. I love Daniel, though, because he's he's one of the few that you read about, and you're like, yes. Like, he just got it, right? Like, this is somebody that I want to be like. Let's keep reading. At this... It says, the administrators and the satraps tried to find, ground, find, find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. Everybody else gets jealous, right? Why does this Daniel guy uh, get, to, get to be the right hand to, to the king? Um, we gotta figure out a way to take him down. But I love it, it says, but they were unable to do so. Why? Well, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy, Real quick, we have a lot of young professionals in this room who are are trying to work their way up, and I love that for you, and I'm cheering you on. Let me ask you a question. Are you trustworthy? Can can the people um, who you report to, hey, even if you don't see eye to eye with them or always respect them, can they trust you? Can they trust you with assignments? Because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, the guys are like, he's too good. We, we can't trip him up in anything. So finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now they get smart. It's clever. Let's, let's hand them that. I mean, it's terrible, Right, and manipulative and and all of that, but at least it's smart. They go, the only way that we're gonna going to be able to get this guy is if it has something to do with his God. So here's the scheme that they come up with. Next, next slide. It says, So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. They're buttering him up. Right? They're, They're stroking his ego. Darius, you're amazing. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, basically all of Babylon, and then one word that I thought was only for Harry Potter, but I guess it's also in the Bible with prefects. We were doing a TMZ, and my sister-in-law is the biggest Harry Potter nerd ever, so she pointed that out. Have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Darius, you're such a good king. And Darius is like up on his throne like, oh, no, stop it. Stop, you guys are just just saying that. No, Darius, like you're so amazing that we should set up a law that everybody should just like pray to you. Like, we don't need to pray to gods. Let's just just pray to you. And Darius sits there and he goes, no, 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 no. And they're like, no, we should, let's just have people pray to you. And eventually Darius is like, actually, it's not a bad idea. Power does weird things to people, doesn't it? Like, I don't even know how that would work. Like, okay, so now we just have to pray to this human. And so my best friend is sick right now, and so I guess I'll go talk to the king, right? And so you you bow before, and you're like, I'm praying to you, Darius, and Darius is like, okay, great, what do you need? You're like, my friend is sick, can you heal him? And Darius is just like, actually, I'm not a doctor, you know, and I can't do anything, and the guy's like, yeah, why are we praying to you? And he's like, I don't know, it was a head trip, I don't know why we did this thing to begin with a power does funny things to people, and so Darius sets up a law, it says you can't pray to anybody except for me for 30 days. Now, this puts Daniel in a very interesting place, doesn't it? Because Daniel is the, the uh, picture in the Bible, one of the pictures in the Bible is of, of really a, a human being who understood that he had a, a relationship with the creator of the universe and that that relationship came be before all other things. And so although Daniel wants to have influence in Babylon, now his integrity is being called into question. Daniel, what are you gonna do? If you go do what you always do, which is, as we're gonna find out in the next verse, fall down to your knees and thank your God for all the blessings in your life, your life is going to end. Now, if I'm Daniel, and this happens to me, I'm going... I quit. I'm having another breakdown on the side of the road. Probably preach another dramatic sermon about it, you know? Like, I'm done. Check out Cancun this time of year. I think it's supposed to be nice. I'll learn how to scuba dive. I retire. I am out of here. Babylon, good luck. I'd quit. That's not what Daniel does. And so now we're to our verse that I want to preach on for the next couple of minutes. Daniel 6, verse 10 has meant so much to me this month. It says this. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, I love it, he simply went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. What does Daniel do? Exactly what he's always done. He gets faced with a crisis and he just continues to live the life that he always lives. He doesn't panic, doesn't lose his way, he doesn't quit like I'm so prone to do. He goes, no, we got this. And this verse has been sticking out to me. There's really two points that have been sticking out to me in this verse, and so I just want to preach a very quick two-point sermon from this verse because I think what I get from this is Daniel is the example of two things. When we get faced with trials and we want to quit, here's what we gotta do. Win the day and remember the way. If you don't remember anything else from what I said today, remember that because you're going to be faced with trials if not this week, then soon. What do you do when you're in the middle of the storm and you just wanna quit? Simple, you win the day and you remember the way. This last, uh, 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 let's start with with win the day. Put, put verse 10 back up. Um, at the very end of this verse, I love that it says Daniel goes up, he prays three times just as he had done before. Daniel, in the middle of persecution, just keeps going. And, and, and I read that and I go, cool, Daniel, I can do that. I've got, I have mental breakdowns on the side of, of roads. Must, must be cool to, to be so holy, right? But I realized something this month studying Daniel that I've never seen before, and it's really helped me uh, a lot. I used to always think that the timeline of the book of Daniel was just like a couple of months, you know, because like we read or we watch like TV shows, and it's like so much happens in like three days, you know, it's like what kind of lives are you guys living, like this is crazy, but I, I think it's, it's uh Twisted our mind to forget that uh, actually these stories play out over long periods of time. Can we put the timeline up from from the book of Daniel? So Daniel 1 is, we think, about 605 B.C., where Daniel's 16 years old and gets carried off to Babylon. Okay, it's not until he's 35, 19 years later, that we get to Daniel chapter 3, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into the furnace like like we talked about. That was 19 years later, And then, this story that we're reading today happened in, we think, around 539 B.C., 47 years later. Daniel is 82 years old at this point. Here's why this is interesting to me. Remember how it says that he's faced with this trial and he just keeps praying as he had done before? Well, that means that Daniel has done this routine every day for 66 years. That means he, he's been praying three times a day for 66 years, or 24,090 days, or in other words, he has been pray, he's praying these prayers 72,270 times, which means that the 72,271st time wasn't hard for Daniel. Why? Because he had been winning the day for 66 years. This is the beautiful thing that happens when we just start focusing on winning the day. Because here's the thing about trials. I don't know if you all have ever experienced this, but, but when, you ha- when you face a trial, there's the problem, but then there's also the panic. You know what I mean? Like one appliance makes a weird sound in your house. It's a problem. If you're anything like me, the panic is when you go, every single appliance in this place is about to break down. This is it, my warranty just let off like two months ago. I can't afford to replace all of these. I'm gonna be upside down on this house. I can't afford that. Why did I ever get into this in the first place? What have I done? I've made a terrible mistake. That's the panic. The problem and the panic are two very, very different things. The, The problem is something that requires your attention. The panic is typically something that's not congruent with reality at all and is quite crippling. You leave your door open for a second too long when you're saying goodbye to your guest and one of those crazy Texas bugs flies into your home. <laughs> it's a problem. The panic is when you start thinking, "We got to do something about this bug situation. They've been at this for months. They've been sky I watch them. Every time I walk in, they've been scheming. There's probably 40 of them looking at us right now. They're taking over. It's time to call the exterminator." Okay. That's the panic. That one hit a little too close to home for a few people. Sorry. (laughs) Your one-year-old won't sleep and is crying all through the night. It's a problem. You have to get out of bed again and go make sure everything's okay. The panic is when you start thinking, am I ever going to sleep again? (laughs) Is she okay? And, like, how am I going to pay for college 18 years from now, you know? It's like, what? Like, we just skipped so many steps right there. You know what I mean? Like, Like, the problem is something that we have to address, but the panic is usually not congruent with reality and is typically quite crippling. And I think there's a spiritual principle here that Daniel understood, is that when you face a trial, you have to learn to separate the problem from the panic. See, all throughout Daniel's, the, the, the book of Daniel, Daniel's facing like all these problems all the time, usually because a king wants to kill him. And his response is almost always, okay, great, that's a problem, we're going to address that problem, we need to learn how to interpret this king's dream or else he's gonna kill me. He's throwing my buddies into a fiery furnace, so we need to pray, right? These are problems, but all throughout Daniel, you never see him panic once. Why? Because Daniel, I think, was really good at learning how to win the day. Win the day. Panic has this weird way of making us, us worry about things that are gonna happen like 30 years from now. You know, when I'm on the side of the road having my, my breakdown, really what's going on in my mind is like, how am I gonna keep pastoring for the next 30 years, 40 years, whatever it is, you know? It's like, whoa, to, like your job is to do this today. Your job is to be a light today. How, what is one practical step you can take to win the day today? Got to win the day. The other piece is to remember the way. Throw the verse back up there, Daniel six and verse ten. Notice that when he learns about this law, he goes home to his upstairs room. It says where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. What was he doing? He was remembering the way. See, sixty six years prior. The Babylonians had pulled him out of Jerusalem and they spent 66 years trying to take the Jerusalem out of him and all he ever did is look back to Jerusalem and remember the way, remember the end of the story, remember the eternal perspective, remember where all this is is heading because Jerusalem doesn't just mean the the promised land, the, the city, it's the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Like Revelation talks uh, about Daniel is going, I'm in the middle of this crisis, this crazy moment in my life, so I gotta get my eyes back on the end of the story. I'm gonna remember the way, I'm gonna win the day, but I also have to remember the way. Something happens when we learn how to gain an eternal perspective because panic tries to steal our eternal perspective away from us. I've, um, I've done a lot of funerals uh, over the years, but there were two that I did for people who were younger than me. And uh, both of those messed me up like pretty good. Um, one of them was for uh, a guy who got mixed up with the wrong crowd and through a string of very unfortunate events uh, ended up losing his life one night. And... Uh, I spent the next week with his family. And if you're wondering, what, what do you mean? You, like, what do you say to a family? Um, I know. There's this really beautiful phrase called the ministry of presence. And it's about all you got at that point. In fact, the only formula I've heard that makes any sense is the, the bigger the tragedy, the less you say. But you show up. And so I do that for the week, and then Saturday rolls around, and it's time for the funeral. And uh, I get to this church, church I'd never been to before, and I'm I'm talking to the dad. We're talking about the service, and all of a sudden, there's all this shouting in the parking lot, and the shouting turns to shoving. Because uh, the, the friends that the kid had started um, hanging out with showed up, and the kid's brothers didn't like that very much. And so they start fighting, and I'm sitting there with the dad, and the dad goes, uh uh-uh, uh. He gets up and he starts sprinting toward the parking lot. Now, I am the guy who knows exactly what to do in these situations. <laughs> I didn't think they were gonna laugh. I'm the guy who knows exactly what to do in these situations all the way up to the point where the actual like, action is happening, right? So the dad takes off in the parking lot, and I got my, my suit and tie and all my notes, and I'm like, oh yeah, let's go, let's go, right? So I'm running with him, and, and, and I'm like, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do, I'm with this guy, let's go, but then I get to the point where all the fighting is happening, and I do one of these numbers, I go like. You start porning a bunch, you know? I like doing that, like staying on the outside. It's like, have you ever been at a, a wedding where uh, you're like dancing and having fun at, at the end, and then all of a sudden the dance floor turns into like a, a circle and you're in the middle of it, and you're like, I didn't want this. I didn't sign up for this. Or, no, I don't know why, just out of a dancing at a wedding when I'm talking about fighting at a funeral. So I'm, 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 like, my mind's catching up with myself, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know these people. Like, I don't know the story here. I wouldn't know like, what I'm supposed to do, and let's be honest, even if I wanted to jump in, I'm not gonna be any help at all anyways. You know? And this like, 300-pound dude walks by, and he looks at me just like, hey, man, don't. And he walks in, and he breaks the whole thing up, and everybody's angry and on edge. And the dad walks past me, and he goes, sorry, pastor, do your thing. And now, all of a sudden, this angry mob is all staring at me. And I'm like, R-OK, yeah, 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 I, to- I totally know what to do now. Let's all go to the auditorium, you know? Three, three minutes later, we're in the auditorium. There's now eight cops lined up in the, in the back. And, man, tension's just high, and this family's having the worst week of their life, and everyone's angry, and... I get up there and I do the only thing I know to do, which is, well, hey, I know everybody's angry in this place right now. I, I, all I know is that when Jesus went to the funeral of his buddy Lazarus, he stopped and he cried and he, he sat in it and he felt it. And um, then I turned to Revelation 21 and I started talking about the new heavens and the new earth, new Jerusalem, the day where where the dwelling place of God is with man, where God is here with us and wipes away every tear, where there's no more pain, there's no more hurt, there's no more confusion, there's no more rivalry, there's no more fighting. The only way I can explain it is it just felt like there was like this darkness in the room that just started lifting as soon as we all got our eyes off of ourselves in this really tragic situation and back on eternity and remembered the way, why? Because something happens when we remember, when we regain an eternal perspective in church. I just feel like there are people in this room today who are going through it and who are ready to quit and what you need to hear today is this isn't the end of the story. Hey, your loneliness won't last. The envy you're struggling with is not eternal there's a place where all they're like there is a place this whole story is heading towards and it's really good news and so when we get faced with these times where we just want to quit man we got to win the day we also got to remember the way this is what Daniel did and 600 years later somebody sat down to write the book of Hebrews we don't know who it was But that writer in chapter 11 was talking about all of the people who have come before us, who by faith did all these amazing things. And in verse 33, he says, by faith, they shut the mouths of lions. Because Daniel continued praying, and it got him thrown into the lion's den. By the way, if you went to Sunday school, you know it was Daniel's faith that got him out of the lion's den. But I think sometimes we forget it was also his faith that got him into the lion's den to begin with. By faith an angel comes and shuts the mouths of lions, and the writer of Hebrews is reflecting on this, going, "This is incredible." Hey, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he writes in Hebrews twelve verse one, "Let us, because of what Daniel has done, because of all these people who have come before us, because of what they have done, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with." Here's our word. This is for somebody today perseverance the race marked out for us one of my favorite parts about being a pastor is getting to watch so many of you run the race marked out for you with perseverance even when things get difficult and we have somebody in our church named Reagan who uh, this summer took this verse very literally Uh, she ran an actual race Uh, It just so happens that her race was 178 miles long. 170, hey, I ran two miles yesterday, Steve. I felt pretty good about myself. She ran 178 miles. As you can probably guess, there is a backstory behind that kind of behavior. You don't run 178 miles unless you have a very good reason to do it. But we decided it's not my story to tell. It's Reagan's, so here she is.
1: So it was back in 2015 and I just started having some kind of crazy symptoms. I was getting double vision every time I would exercise. I was feeling numbness all in like the right side of my body, like kind of down through my leg and my arm. Just all these random things that didn't seem to connect, but just made me feel off. So I decided to go see a neurologist and get checked out. Right from the get-go, he told me that, you know, it kind of looks like you might have MS. Let's run some tests and see what happens. And it turns out that it was. I got MRIs done and it showed a bunch of lesions on my brain and spine. Basically my body was attacking itself. I automatically went to worst case scenario. I started thinking about, I gonna be able to walk. I'm engaged, so like will I be a burden to my future husband? Was my life gonna be shorter? Am I not gonna be able to have kids? All of like the dreams and things that I'd planned for myself just felt like in that moment they weren't really gonna be possible. And I just remember walking into the elevator and just starting to cry, thinking like I'm too young. This isn't supposed to happen to me. This is not a part of my journey. Like what is the rest of my life gonna look like with this chronic illness that there's not a cure for So I saw it as an opportunity for um, kind of what can I do to help other people, but also to take advantage of the body that I have been blessed with. And so even though I hated running and I didn't like it, I slowly started getting into it, thought I would look up a 5K to see if I could, you know, just kind of do something local, low-key. And... It turned out that, you know, as I'm Googling, I came across this organization, MS Run the US, which is 19 people who each take a leg of this relay uh, that goes all the way across America. And each chunk is like more than 150 miles and at least like six days long. So it's pretty much a marathon a day, any way you look at it. Something inside me just like moved. And the days after I just couldn't shake the feeling that it was supposed to be a part of my journey. I just, anytime I'd have like quiet moments with God, I could just, like, feel that tug of, like, this is something that you need to do. Woke up before my alarm went off the morning that I was starting the relay. Obviously, there's just a lot of of adrenaline, and I was just feeling excited and nervous and scared but happy to be going out there and it was just a moment of build up because i had literally been training for months and months i mean i think i did over a thousand miles of training but i didn't want to get myself too nervous and worked up about it i had to center myself on the word of peace that was like the word that i carried with me throughout my whole journey which seems like the antithesis of what i was doing the first mile I ran fast because I was just out there and was just absorbing all the energy and I was in downtown Denver I think that I just was excited for what was ahead and I was hopeful and um, you know I could I could feel God's presence with me from the very start and so it was just it was a cool way to to get going and to kick it off
2: this is where these winding roads have left. It is day one for Reagan, and she started in uh, Curtis Park in Denver this morning. Now she's at a pretty good pace. We're in a good flow. She knows where she's going, and so it's going to be a good day. It is day three. She is suffering a pretty bad sunburn on her chest and like upper arms. Otherwise though, she's doing really awesome. She's keeping good time. She's staying right on her pace that she trained at and she'll be good for the whole week. So it's day five for Reagan. Um, She's doing really, really great. She has obviously done her training. She also has her husband with her today. So um, that's really probably very encouraging. It's day six for Reagan today, and she mentioned that today her muscles are actually feeling the most sore so far, um, which I think is more of a uh, mental struggle for her right now, just that she's getting to the end and her body is really starting to feel it.
0: Um, our dear friend Reagan. Is in the middle of running uh, seven marathons in seven days right now because she is streaming in right now as she runs. And so Red Rock, she's got a ways to go. Can we just make some serious noise right now for Reagan? Keep running. We love you. We got your back. I'm here now. I'm here
2: now. I'm here now.
1: To this and I don't think that there would ever be a moment no matter how much training I did how many marathons that I did that I would ever think like yeah I'm ready to run 178 miles over a week man you just have to take that first step and just trust that God's going to see you through it if he's called you to it and just start going I don't think anybody's really ready to tackle big dreams or tasks that feel like they're just daunting and the biggest thing is to just start it's easy to drag your feet and to keep making excuses and I think I could have put this off for another year and another year and just thought, maybe next year I'll try that. Man, am I glad that I just listened to the calling and just stepped into it and gave it a shot because I I don't think any amount of bravery would have ever fully prepared me for walking into an experience like this.
0: Make some noise for Ray. And- And she was here at the nine o'clock sitting right there with her entire family and just so proud of of them. And if you know Matt and Reagan, you know they're just some of the, the best people in the world and so generous and so humble. And she got a tough phone call, man. And she had two decisions, she had a decision to make. She could have chosen to get bitter and quit, but instead she chose to get better. And because of that, today her story is inspiring hundreds, if not thousands uh, of people. In fact, she we were texting yesterday. Yesterday, the last leg got to New York, so they finished. They ran literally all the way across the United States. It blows my mind, it's crazy. And if you wanna support them, msruntheus.org. Uh, oh, they're still raising money for MS. And I guess I'm just wondering, um, what other stories God is currently writing in this room? What other moments God is getting us ready for and what other conflicts and trials people are facing all across this room right now that are causing them to want to quit? I'm just wondering what it would look like for us to win the day, remember the way and the last thing I'll say is this, the next verse after Hebrews 1, the writer just says, here's how you do it. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus had every opportunity to quit, the night before he went to the cross and he literally told God, I don't wanna do this. That entire day as he's arrested and mocked and brutally beaten and killed. And yet the writer says he endured the cross. I'm not gonna quit. I'm gonna win this day. Cause I remember the way and I know that 2000 years from now, there's going to be somebody that walks into some church in Austin, Texas, wondering if this good news could really be this good feeling so unlovable and feeling so far gone that they feel like, no, I'm just done. Uh, I'm ready to quit, I'm ready to throw in the towel and can I just remind you that Jesus loves you that much, that this good news is actually for you. So don't quit, don't stop. To the, the, well, the, the pioneer and perfecter, that's the phrase that, that, that's been working on me This week, he didn't just start this good work in you. He's also going to be faithful to bring it to completion. And so don't quit, don't stop. In fact, would you guys stand up to your feet with me as we get ready to to sing one last time, what I wanna say is to, to the person in this room who mentally is going through it right now, maybe anxiety or depression is just having its way with you and you just feel like you are at the end of your rope, can I remind you that Jesus is both the pioneer and perfecter of your faith and that he loves you and so don't quit? To the relationship that's on the brinks right now, Maybe the marriage that's holding on by a a thread, maybe even in this room right now. Can I remind you that Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith? And so don't you quit. Hold on. Mistakes are opportunities for grace and forgiveness. For the person who's had, uh, uh, spiritually just had bad experiences, maybe in church, maybe in this church, and you're ready to walk away from it all, can I remind you of the beauty of being imperfect people, all pursuing a perfect God together, don't you quit. What Jesus started in your life, you will be faithful to bring it to conclusion. Jesus has got you and right now I think all across this room what we need is a fresh wind and a fresh fire as we get our eyes back up. As we get our eyes back up on the one who started this all and will be faithful to bring it to completion. So Father would that spirit come. Spirit would you come and would you fall afresh on us? Would you remind us? Would you teach us how to win the day? Would you remind us to remember the way and all across this room for anybody who's feeling lonely who's feeling out of it. Lord would you remind them in this moment that you've got them that you're here for them. For the one who hasn't experienced joy in a long, long time, I pray that today would be the day that they feel that joy. An overwhelming joy, Lord. For the one in this room who hasn't felt loved in so long, would you remind them that you love them? And would your love overflow out of them? And Lord, for the one who feels hopeless, who's ready to stop with this whole ministry thing, would you remind them right now in the name of Jesus that their story's not over, that their job's not done, that they still have breath in their lungs, so they still have a mission to make heaven more crowded and earth more whole. And I pray right now, Spirit, that you would empower all of us, empower all of us right now in the name of Jesus to win the day, remember the way, no matter what, to not quit, never, ever, ever, in the name of Jesus, we all say, amen.